0: Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, a podcast about number one songs in the Australian charts throughout the 1990s. My name is Danny Yao and with me as usual is Tim Coyle.
1: Bonjour y'all.
0: Casey Atkins. What
1: was that? Hello.
0: (laughs) And down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. Ahoy hoy. So this week we're going to talk about yet another five number one singles in Australia in the 1990s, in particular 1991 from the 13th of April until ooh, mid-June, well actually well into mid-June, like mid-July of 1991. Five songs and we might as well just get started on the first I think. Go on. This song was number one for three weeks and it's our first repeated artist uh-huh. and it is from the 13th of April 1991. This is Joyride by Roxette. Hello. was Rock Set with Joyride. It's the second time we've heard Rock Set on this podcast, our first repeated artist, like I said earlier. Casey Atkins, why don't you tell us what this song means to you? Um, this song, I man, I loved it.
2: I This was our favourite song at the time. Absolutely it was. Um, when we talked about It Must Have Been Love a few weeks ago, I think um, I said at the time that I didn't like It Must Have Been Love. So much, but it didn't mean that I didn't like Roxette. There was just other songs that I that I liked a lot more, and this was definitely one of them. Um, and I had it on. I, I didn't actually own any Roxette albums or tapes or CDs or anything, but I had this on a compilation, which was the same compilation that I also that also had you can't touch this and do the Batman on it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like 100% hits
0: of 91? Yeah, it was
2: actually called It was called Wall of Hits, I remember it oh, well. it was random, yeah. Yeah, it was a random one, and I had a few of those. Um, and, yeah, I just thought it was it was absolutely fantastic. It was rocky, it was guitar-y, um, it was extremely catchy, and I just, I, I liked it, it spoke to me. And I had a lot of fun listening to it again this week, and I listened to it a lot actually this week. I really enjoyed hearing it. I truly laughed out loud in public the other day when (laughs) I was listening to this. And at the very end, just when it's starting to do the sort of you know bring it home part, and they shout out the band
1: name. Yeah, oh, yeah. Isn't that really brilliant. <laughs> it's just that's just that's a lot of things. In case you forgot
0: who the song was by, <laughs> and in case yes. anyone else wanted to ever cover it.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we'll go. Yeah. You will know us by the trail of the dead. <laughs> yeah, it's, well,
1: it's like the, it's like the the master Craftsman's kind of it's it's a mark yeah (laughs) Yeah. it was make maker's mark (laughs) Tim Coyle what about you how do you feel about Uh, this uh, I really love listening to to this song this week I think as I said the the Scouse accent at the start is a little bit of a giveaway as to what they're trying to do but a lot of the stuff like the guitar textures are just fantastic and the way it just the way it's all blended together and when that Barrelhouse piano and the horns kick in that's just that's just awesome it's yeah this is this is a song that i thought i i would i thought i would enjoy it but i thought i would enjoy it with reservations and i can say that, that i have no reservations in uh in how much i enjoyed it this week and i remember at the time liking it quite a lot but yeah it's definitely per gessel's finest moment just the way the way everything's put together i think as casey said it's a little weird but i love that it's weirdly put together and just every bell and whistle quite literally uh goes on to this and yeah i i I just love that it's ambitious and crazy and uh that they shout out the band name (laughs) and yeah it's just a wild carnival of a song tim byron what about you
0: in a wonderful
4: balloon (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, yeah this one uh i I read this article last year um that was in The New Yorker um that was profiling esther Dean, who's one of the sort of songwriter kind of people and producery kind of people behind uh a lot of the songs that Rihanna has done, like so she was behind s and m by rihanna and only Girl in the world and stuff like that and there was a bit in that uh in that article that sort of stuck with me where one of, where the record company guy who um who was doing this was basically saying these days there has to be a hook in a pop
0: song every seven seconds. Yes, I know that quote, and I'm obsessed by that idea. Like, <laughs> yeah, having to work and listen to a lot of chart music and occasionally hearing, like, say a new Rihanna single and go, do I put that to the test? And it does, and it really does.
4: Wow. Yeah, and they do have the... And yeah, all, every song on the radio these days has that hook every second second, so otherwise, basically, people will go, oh, that's not that great, and we'll turn it off before they get to the big hook, um, that apparently seven seconds is about as long as people give it. And Rock Set... They know how to make a pop song, and there Ooh. is a hook in every, this song has a hook every seven seconds. So you get to the chorus, and it's the big chorus, and and she starts singing, and it's great because like her voice just sort of rings like a bell in a way that his doesn't, and it, br- it brings the chorus up and all that kind of stuff. But even in the verses, like there's all these like little sort of nice touches, like little little sort of guitar licks and stuff that would be a hook on their own, but they need to play them once. You know, there's lots of like it's just so brilliantly crafted, and like at the time, I loved this song. I had the I think I had the cast single, and I eventually got upgraded to the the tape of the album. And on the spine of the of the album cover of this, um, of the CD, it's got Don't Boris Get to the Chorus.
0: Uh, I have to agree with everyone that it is a great track. It is. I agree with what Tim Byron said. I think that it is a perfect radio single. Mm. And before guys like, you know, in current radio terms working with Rihanna and stuff, defined what that was you'd get these songs every so often that were just like had just so many ideas um, the thing for me about this song and Roxette though is that it's probably the last time I really cared for them after that yeah
2: might be the same well when was Big Love was that after this
0: yeah that was on I, the same album I, I, a okay. later
2: yeah I didn't I didn't mind that what did we all think of the film clip oh I watched it today uh, what's with that haircut man <laughs> <What's>, <laughs> which one his <laughs> <laughs> that big black cat sitting on his head
4: (laughs) oh
0: that's crazy I remember that like just in terms of like literal uh, yeah you know representation of a song yeah they're on a ride it's joyous I just just, just love it (laughs) having worked in labels um, having to you know commission film clips and you get treatments you get directors pitching stuff at you and they're really great they're like you know we're going to try and put this artist in a room with Muppets and piano and this is going to happen and stuff like that. This is one of those film clips where I wonder if the treatment was just rock set, car, (laughs) joyride.
1: (laughs) (laughs) just like... Just kind of knocked it off on the back of a napkin before that came into the room. Uh, It, It really is... It really is produced
2: within an inch of its life. It, though, isn't is, it? But it is,
1: but it works.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. But it, even getting down to, and I guess this, this comes back to the, the hook or something interesting or something to catch your ear every seven seconds, which isn't something I, I've heard before, but, um, but hearing that in relation to, to this song, when you listen to the second verse and everything that was a electric guitar riff in the first so verse was it. now, Some kind of strange wah wah thing for half the bar. Then you hear an acoustic guitar for half a bar. (laughs) That's a whole song. It shows up for half a bar. And yeah. And so I guess that that's all part of just throwing in something else to, 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 to make your ears go,
1: Oh, that's different. And and you just, it it also, I think it goes back to what I was saying with the Beatles influence insofar as that point when the Beatles were making Revolver and it was less used the studio as an instrument. Um, and yeah, I could see that with this song. They're they're just using every trick in the book, mm. um, and they do it really well. Uh, yeah, uh, often overproduced songs rub me up the wrong way, but this one doesn't.
4: Yeah, yeah the thing that um with this song, like, th- th- there is something about the production that does bug me. Like, it's mostly in the drums and the like. It would be such the better song if like they had the sort of. You know, if if this song came out three years later, there'd be much better drum triggers for the drum machines that would sound better. Yes, from
2: listening to it, I was trying to figure out whether it was actually a drum machine or just a um, uh, a sample, like a sound replacement kind of thing on the snare. But that snare—it's just
4: the—it's not a great snare tone, and it's the same tone all <laughs>
3: yeah. the
4: way through. <laughs> and that's that's the one thing in the song that, that bugs me. But the guitar sound is great—that kind of Rick and Backery kind of thing. Yeah. It's weird because I listened to it, and the first thing I um. But like the, the thing I immediately
0: thought of was the theme to Friends, which has, like, a very similar guitar tone to it. Oh, this this song has that, that feel, which is what I call alternative music for everyone. And, you know, you have bands like Breakfast at Tiffany's and the Rembrandts, and these things had like, kind of quirky, but completely commercial songs. And this song is totally in that world for me. Well, this song was number one for two weeks in the 4th of May, uh, 1991, and it is technically the Tingle's EP, but we're going to play That Ain't Bad by Ratcat.
3: They told me that you were really bad news They said that
0: Ain't Bad by Rat Cat. Tim Byron, why don't you tell us what you feel about this song? Yeah, um, how can you not love That Ain't Bad by Rat Cat?
4: I, I loved this at the time. I remember that I got, there was like a, a daughter of someone my mum worked with who, who taped the Tingles EP and the Blind Love um, album together for me. And so I listened to that quite a lot. And um, around the time, and I, I loved it. It was just like these sort of classic kind of pop songs. And um, I don't think I ever really stopped really liking Ratcat. Like they, um, the thing I know I know is listening to them now. In a way, is that basically they're like sixties girl group songs. Mm. Like the, the thing with this, with, with that ain't bad. Is if if it was a girl singing it and it was by the Shangri Las and it came out in nineteen sixty four, it would have been a big hit, and the lyrics would have fit perfectly. Apart from the he and the she kind of stuff,
1: it's it's almost incredibly clever what he's doing here because uh, the the bad girlfriend, bad boyfriend thing. You hear a lot of songs about bad boyfriends, you yeah. don't hear a lot about bad girlfriends, and this is this is one of the few I can think but of.
2: But he, he doesn't yeah. he doesn't think she's a bad girl. No, he, do, he does, does. Everyone else does. Yeah.
1: And, but the thing is, as a, as a, as a boy or as a man, kind of uh, the the bad girlfriend, you're actually often encouraged to. You know, it's seen as an opportunity,
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, um, would be would be a way to put it. And uh, I just love how it turns that completely on its head. And, yeah, I, I mean, I'll get into my feelings about the song a little
0: bit. Well, why don't you go, what yeah, you gonna go to it?
1: Well, team. sure. Well, uh, I guess going back to, to when I first heard it, uh, I, I remember Rat Cap being really divisive on the playground. Um mm. Yeah, people either really loved it or people were really, really hated it. I think a lot of people were quite confused because, one, Rockstars didn't look like Simon Day at the time, which is funny because he modelled himself on um, so many. Rock stars, the, the the skinny jeans and the stripy stripy sweaters and the slick back hair, which of course is how I I ended up dressing when no, I was in my twenties. He's what he's He still, <laughs> dressed like uh, still dressed like that. I still dress like that. But, the, uh, but the, he was he didn't look like Axl Rose. No, he didn't. He didn't look like anything that was going or Fred around. Fred from Blink no, from B Fifty Two. <laughs> <laughs> I, for some reason, I remember there being a little bit of parental disapproval around Ratcat, which is bizarre.
4: Were your parents worried that you'd end up with like a bad girl? No, you were listening to it, and it was like he's going to get into bad girls. I know <laughs>
3: I've, got, I've, got a, I've got a theory
1: with this. It was, it was, it was the name Ratcat, and yeah. I think parents must have thought, oh, it might be a bit punky or something. Along those lines, I just remember, yeah, there kind of being a little bit of disapproval about this from from my mum and dad, but I loved it, and... Yeah, the moment that distortion pedal hits the floor, uh, I had never heard anything like it, and it was just... It was a sugar rush Yeah, hearing this, mm, and it was definitely. great. Yeah, I, I just love that guitar sound. Because
4: as... I guess, like, in 1991, like, none of us would have heard the Pixies, like, who'd been doing that, that soft, loud kind of thing. And mm. Nirvana, at this point, hadn't broken big in Australia at all. So, like, there wasn't really much that was doing that kind of soft thing in the verse, and then, like, in the chorus, it hits, you know? It's funny, you know,
2: I remember Rat Cat really well. I remember Rat Cat being a thing. I don't... I can't remember this song being number one. I can't remember this song specifically
1: from the time. Could I someone really know why. Yeah, could clip? someone correct me if I'm wrong that this is another film clip that had the Rage placeholder?
4: No. No, no, this no. one had a film clip. Okay. I, I, I watched it today. It's, it's a pretty uh, basic kind of film clip. It's got like a couple of scenes of them. Uh, going through, like, sort of broken uh, metal kind of fence kind of things. But um, but yeah. it's mostly just, like, focused on his face. It's it's pretty basic kind of boring film clip. So I can't see why they would have, uh, uh, where Rage would have had the placeholder for it. Okay.
2: Yeah, I, I just, I don't remember it. Like, I certainly do remember what's coming up. I, but I certainly, I certainly love it. Now, hook-wise, um, if you want to talk about hooks, that little, that yeah, 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 thing mm. in it, that's, that's textbook brilliant pop hook writing mm-hmm. and it just gets in your head and, well, just and there sending and the amazing chord progression
1: just works so well
2: and the um that
1: guitar solo as well that oh, this, is, this oh. is another thing it's like guitar solos did not sound like that and I think that was part of the, the confusion I was talking about in mm-hmm. the in the playground is that a lot of the a lot of the boys who like their cockrock and like the screaming solos and stuff were just. It's not flashy or anything like that. It's all about texture and tone. Mm. And, yeah, I think that threw a lot of people.
4: It's funny in a way with this song because I ended up playing this in a covers band and, like, it's it's so simple as a song. There's like, it's just basically the same three chords, like, in the, the most obvious three chords you could possibly play and then just um, transposed up in the chorus. And, um, yeah, playing it, like, it's a really boring song to play live even though I love it. The thing about the chorus, like with the chorus of it, is just saying "I love you" and then "woo hoo hoo hoo." It's it's really effective and it's really catchy. But like, I I, I want to go back and like sort of feel what that felt like at the time when the mm. um when that rush of guitars was new and and different and interesting. Whereas now, like you hear it and it's like, oh yeah, that's what you know most songs do. There's that soft loud thing, yeah, whatever. But like back then, that that would have felt different. And and I don't have that anymore, so I don't think I like the song quite as much as I did. Mm. But um, but yeah. That's what I was thinking when I
0: was playing it live. Well, for me, I love this song. I bought it. I helped get it to number one. I remember that feeling. It was just a light turn on in my
4: head. So, Danny, you were saying in earlier episodes that you never really uh, bought albums or bought singles. Like, you just listened to it on the radio. And so it was this like, one of the first ones that you actually listened to and decided, I have
0: to own that thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, and it was, like, it was like easy to at that time. Like, it was just... It yeah. was... My first real exposure to Australian music, yeah. like, it's such an important song for me. The other thing about this song is that thing from The selling. where this song is so historically important. Mm-hmm. This was the very first independent Australian number one single. Yeah. The money that came into it, that came in and created and almost destroyed a whole scene in terms of the bidding war, what happened to Ratcat Hat afterwards. This is... The Australian Smells Like Teen Spirit. This is, like... It is so important for me and so important in the place in history, that I think it is similar to Stranded by the Saints. You know how mm-hmm. the only thing that anyone ever knows is that it was Enemy single the week before the Sex Pistols, <laughs> and how this band from Brisbane nowhere invented punk rock before anyone else did. Mm. It's time we started having that conversation about Ratcat. Cat. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's true. You know, where they were doing loud guitars and feedback in the charts and getting it to taxi drivers and secretaries well before anyone else in australia and you know you say rat cat to people people still know who they are because Ooh,
1: of these I, re- I remember going to going to a gig it would be almost five years ago now but i think it was a black eyed susan's gig where glenn richards and simon day were the supports really and it was simon day's <laughs> first gig in forever but there were there were like 30 or 40 girls dressed up in black and white stripy sweaters
3: there, which is... (laughs) It it
1: was endearing, but it's... And it's also... It was awesome. It's just... Mm. It just took me back to to kind of being a kid and seeing this for the first time and it being wow, this is something completely out of my orbit.
0: Should we move on to uh, the next song? Yeah, (laughs) uh, there's so many more I want to say about Ratcat, and so many more questions I want to ask, but... Before we do that, we're going to take a short break. As the number one chart did, uh, Daryl Braithwaite got in the charts. And at number one for two weeks on the 18th of May, 1991, was The
3: Horses. We will fly, we'll fly, the cold wind blows. Oh, and the sun, laughing, having fun with all the people that she knows the situation should keep us separated you know the world won't fall apart and you will free the beautiful bird that's caught inside your heart can't you hear her she cries so
0: That was the horses by Daryl Braithwaite, number one for two weeks on the 18th of May 1991. And in between that song, Casey, did you say Margaret Erlich? Yeah. Is on this track. Yeah. Is that who's singing that background? Song? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Oh, I love and that. I, I mean, I yeah. say that, I say that like I've known it for years. I just read it yesterday. When I was listening <laughs> to it. <laughs> so, but as soon as I read that, it was like, uh, oh yeah, okay, fair enough. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay, well that's starting to make a bit of sense now. Because yeah. I, I thought it might have been Daryl. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he had a good vocal vocal range. He can well, sing. Well, that's the thing, right? I would have well, look. You know, I never get to start. So maybe I'll start this this time around. Uh, but one of the things that, about this song, before I get to how I feel, I thought the only reason it existed was because it's a vocal showcase for Daryl Braithwaite, or it's some sort of showcase for Daryl Braithwaite. Because God knows, I don't know why Daryl Braithwaite is. Putting out singles in 91. Yeah, well, that's successful, that review. He, though, falls into a boat of artists like Rod Stewart, Sting, who when I was growing up, I just didn't get, and I didn't get why they were successful. Yeah. And then someone told me that they were in bands that were once successful. Yeah. And I'm sure someone right now in Australia who's about 10 years old is about to hear the new Bernard Fanning track and think exactly the same thing. Hmm. Yeah. You know, like yeah, just, cool. why is this guy so big? Why is this guy everywhere? He's old, he's ugly, and that song's not very good. <laughs> Disclaimer, the song's not out, and I haven't heard that song yet. But um
2: <laughs> Oh, yeah. I thought you were saying this. Is that actually a thing? <laughs> yeah. Oh. They right. they've
0: said it they've got a press release out. Yes, yes, I predict that. No. Um but this song, I have a love-hate relationship with it. It's a good song. I like the song. And I don't really care for Dale Braithwaite. I remember this song all over the radio. I remember learning all the words to it because I did that at the time. Didn't understand anything about it. It's a bit of nonsense. It's a bit of pop fluff at the end of the day. It doesn't really mean anything to me. Tim Coyle, you seem to be shaking your head. How do you feel?
1: Uh, I mean, this is probably the first song we've encountered that I've hated with the intensity of a thousand burning (laughs) suns in a thousand (laughs) galaxies far, far away all dancing around their equivalent antimatter galaxies on the head of a frickin' pin. This but
2: is... how is it oh. worth that kind of energy?
1: I know, I know. And look, okay, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going, I will explain myself. Um, There oh. so was that time you had an encounter with that horse. <laughs> <laughs> it's your trigger word, isn't it? <laughs> uh, look, I hear Margaret Ehrlich's voice, and I just... Speak of hooves to the head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, look, um, I, I think we've spoken before of albums. We've asked our parents to buy us. Rise was actually one of those, but it was on the strength of the song Rise. Yeah. And look, I went back and listened a little bits of the album again this week, and it's, it's a little bit of an odd one. This is Dazza tries to be Springsteen and fails miserably. Um, (laughs) And even then, this song is just completely separate from what else is going on on that album, which is kind of meant to have some kind of social conscience about it, even though it's not particularly well put together in that Mm. way. But then there's this song, which at the time I really liked and I remember everyone really liking, and I remember the film clip clip of Dazza, wandering around the beach in flowing white clothes and yeah but uh, uh listening to it this week uh, goodness uh, where do you start with what's wrong with this song which is why I'll, why I'll start with what actually works in it it's got a couple of things going for it which is um those the drums and guitar accents that lift the song into the chorus, in the, chorus the accents are great are great yeah That works really well and it really places a big emphasis on that, emphasis on that hook, which is a good hook. And also Margaret Ehrlich does a really good job on the backing vocals. So that's what's good with it. What's wrong with it is just, I mean, the lyrics are just blandishments and platitudes and mixed metaphors and it's all over the place you got horses who become birds who <laughs> <and> <laughs> who were freed from inside hearts it's just so self-consciously trying to be poetic and using using metaphor that it just fails and it, like give me rat cats yeah, 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 yeah i love you anytime over over this and the reason why i hate it so intensely is okay this is not Daryl Braithwaite's fault but these days it just sounds like it was tailor-made for bad montages on A Current Affair which is showing a mother's love for her child and it's it's just that kind of so cloying and nauseating and self-congratulatory in how it's being used that I can't separate it from that very channel nine channel seven family values kind of thing which is even more toxic than fred niles family values (laughs) it's just the most (laughs) repugnant freaking thing on earth and it reminds me of that every time it's not daryl braithwaite's fault it's not a great song and but he didn't intend it to be used this way but given that's the case Daryl Braithwaite, you are the Robert Oppenheimer of Australian music. So yeah, this is just <laughs> catastrophically bad for me. And yeah, having ever liked it is the source of the deepest shame. Well, um So the next song we can Tell talk
0: us about what you really think. <laughs> Tim Byron, why don't you tell us what you really think? I also liked it. <laughs> <laughs>
4: You know, I remember I remember seeing this on Rage um, in, in the morning and seeing it and going, yeah, this is pretty good. And, um, yeah, my mum had the CD this was on. And I think, like, yeah, by this point, Daryl Braitha was mum music, as far as I could tell. Like, I, I, there was this song and there was Rise and there was probably a couple of other singles. But, like, um, yeah, listening to it now, the production is so bad. It's just got that kind of late 80s, early 90s kind of adult-oriented rock kind of thing that's just so... Like, it, it, it's it's nauseating in the way that Tim put it. And um, I still think it's, like, a, it, it's got a nice melody to it. But, yeah, that kind that of Channel 7, Channel 9 vibe is, is, is cloying, and I just like it in the same way that Tim Coyle does. Probably not quite with, like, A Thousand Suns. I don't think it's worth that, but, yeah. Anyway, Casey, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I, I, again, I liked it um, fine um, as a kid when it was on the, on the charts. Again, I had it on... Simply the
0: best mega number ones. <laughs> right. As opposed to simply the best non-mega number ones. <laughs> or... Mega s- number twos. Or simply the worst <laughs> mega
2: number ones. Or, um, I have no active hatred for it just because I don't have the energy to really hate anything anymore. I'm getting over hating things. I just decide to like things and... I, I decide to either like something or, or just not go there. <laughs> or oh, no.
0: I'm just looking at the list of songs coming up for the next several weeks, KC, and I'm going <laughs> to cut this little snippet
3: out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm- <laughs> I'm exhibit A. For-
2: yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. But there's the thing, if outside of this context, I would just never choose to listen to that song and, and I'd be perfectly happy. Um, but I, like we spoke about before, there are some things going for it, listening to it again. Um, it, is produced exactly how it needs to be. You know, I, I agree, Tim Byron, that those keyboard sounds that are like... I don't know, what is that sound that's on all of those 80s things that's kind of like a... The
4: electric pianos uh, the living? sort of pad kind of thing.
2: Chubula like a pad thing. It's like a tubular belly, oh, almost yeah. like a breathy mm. thing. Oh, I don't know really what it is. But it's on a, It's quite ubiquitous, really, through, through this kind of music. Um, and so that's
1: irritating hearing that. The acoustic it, guitar, the kind of cod Spanish guitar thing, yeah. and all the little trills, and the, the <laughs> <big> piano, <laughs> piano
2: is off again. The <laughs> piano <laughs> crescendos.
4: Calm down,
1: Tim, calm down. It's okay, we won't
4: have to talk about this song for too much longer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I can see, listening to it now,
2: I can see how it got to be number one, really. I mean, it, it ticks all of the boxes.
0: There's just a, a dangerous blandness to it. And it's not great, and but yeah, the the odd thing is, and and I think Tim, you were going to talk about this, which is it's not actually Daryl Braithwaite's fault. Uh,
4: (laughs) Yeah, so I um I was watching like a pay TV channel, like Studio or something like that, a couple of years ago, and um I remember turning over and I realised that there was someone who was playing this song, who was playing horses, and it was it was a weird sort of very arty kind of version of it, and and like I I this I. Watched it for a little bit longer and um, realised that it was by Ricky Lee Jones. And I looked into it and she wrote the song. And so Ricky Lee Jones had sort of had a hit in the late 70s with a song called Chucky's In Love. And she'd been sort of like a a beatnik girl who'd hung around with Tom Waits and stuff like that. And um, I don't know how... So just say, she's Tom Waits' girlfriend, that's the only thing she ever did. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. well, Chucky's In Love is a nice song, it's got a good sort of beat to it. But yeah... um, yeah, I was very confused that she was playing this Daryl Braithwaite song. I was like, what? why? Why? <laughs> and, um, yeah, no, she she wrote the song, and it's, I'm sure it has some meaning to her that makes sense. Maybe she was the mum, and and she really felt that way about her kids in a way that makes um, Tim Coyle really mad at her. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, well, that was something that I was surprised about with the song, that it wasn't like a... It obviously wasn't like a one of those sort of tailor-made, like, songwriter-songwriter kind of songs that's going to, like, get to the top of the charts because it's, like, crafted to within an inch of its life. It's it's some song that, like, some chick wrote that someone must have
0: liked and, and decided that, oh, yeah, that will work in this context. It was co-written with um, Walt Becker from Steely Dan. That's right. Yeah. And, really? Yeah. And my way into it, I was surprised, actually, uh, that you found it on a random live clip because... The way I know this version of the song, the way that a lot of people know this version of the song, is the Jerry Maguire soundtrack, which any Springsteen fan had to buy to get Secret Garden. Yeah, the other thing about this song, obviously, is that it's currently back in the public consciousness due to an ad. Oh, really? Yeah, have you what, not seen it? it? No, it's, uh, I don't
2: watch much, TV. It's not
1: on
0: TV, at least. I don't even know it's for. Tim Cole, do you know uh, it's for? No,
1: I... <laughs> if, 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 I did, if, if I did, it would be boycotted and... Yeah, I right, know. What's the episode? It's like
0: an insurance ad or something. I don't oh, know what it is, yeah. but yeah. There will be a link to the video on our show notes, I'm sure. I'll look it up. But... Yeah. Not if Coyle's got anything to do with it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think I think in the end, like horses and like this and the way it is, it's it's very much baby boomer music because, like, if you think yeah. about it, the baby boomers in '90 were also were about forty themselves; they're about the same age as Dale Braithwaite, and they're probably going through the same kind of life stuff. It was music my mum listened to. It, it wasn't music for us kids; it was music for parents. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree with you. And and maybe uh, apart from Tim Coyle, I think the rest of us all agree with that and just sort of go but there was a melody or something there that just sort of went oh it's fine okay moving on or actually moving back uh number one for just one week on the 1st of June 1991 this is Rat Cat with Don't Go Now And that was Don't Go Now by Rat Cat, number one for one week on the 1st of June, 1991. Tim Coyle, I'm really interested to see what kind of uh, emotional U-turn you do at this point, or <laughs> yeah, if you get hurt doing it. Why don't you tell us how you feel about probably this probably
1: the most pronounced one you'll ever see. Uh, look, this song is amazing. Uh, and it was amazing at the time. I kind of spoke about that ain't bad, the, the sugar rush of that. Well, this was just that times 200 i'd go as far to say is this pretty much the perfect guitar pop song and i mean it's probably going out on a limb to say i'm going to keep a pretty close eye on the rest of the australian number ones that we encounter for the 90s because i think this is pretty much the best of the the lot and would be probably my favorite australian single of the 90s
0: um Casey, what about you? How do you feel about this track?
1: Um, yeah, again, what a what a
2: fantastic song. Um, I remember this a lot better from the time than even though it was only two weeks later on the chart. I <laughs> so <laughs> for some reason remember well, this one better. I, I don't really know
0: why that is. You know, the reason is That Ain't Bad was an Underground story when Tingles charted. And yeah. by then that set the stage for the Blind Love album.
2: Okay, yeah, so that that I guess does make a lot more sense. Um so I remember this Actually, really quite well from the time. And I, I remember I remember liking it a lot. I loved listening to it again this week. It's funny though, because Rat Bat. Rat Bat? Ba- <laughs> ba- hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong one. Bat Dog. Elephant Lizard. Roach Fed. We'll probably get there actually. Yeah. Um, but thinking about Rat Cat, they were one of those bands that I. So I liked, I loved this song and some other singles, um, Holiday was another one I remember um, liking a lot, and other bits and pieces, but I didn't actually get into Ratcat as a band as much as I did some other bands and some other Australian bands around the time as well. And and Ratcat had been one of those things that I've kind of gone, like, looked back on, and some other people, because um, r- they're maybe a couple of years older, remember being well into Ratcat, and I just remember hearing the singles and liking them, you know. Mm. Um, and it's only now um, in the last couple of years, you know, I went and saw them to do their that Blind Love show at the Factory Theatre last year and... Um, and then with this coming up, seeing that they had two number ones in the space of a month, realizing just how huge yeah,
4: they were. The but I enjoyed it a lot. What about "You Tim Byron"? Um, yeah. Well, so this song I loved just as much as I loved um, "That Ain't Bad." I mean, it's a funny song in a way because I think like this song is the better song in terms of uh, melody and in terms of sort of feeling of the song and stuff like that. It's it's the one that's sort of more well crafted. Robin Sinclair, who co wrote it, knew what she was doing. And um, but like as but lyrically. Uh, it's it's a lesser song, I think, than That Ain't Bad. Like, That Ain't Bad has that very clever kind of um, reversing of perspective, whereas this one's just sort of more of a standard love song, except for that opening line, which is awesome. Like I've been looking around for some kind of feeling, some kind of sensation. That's such a, like, like a punky kind of feeling. Like, I, I want something. I want something more. I want the rush. And um, mm. and that's the great thing about the song, but the rest of the lyrics are, about, are a bit meh. But, um, yeah, I love of The Time, and I, it's one of my favourite Ratcat hat songs now. But um, yeah, I think I think with this song, I remember this song better, and I reckon the rec- the reason that I reckon I know this song a bit better than that ain't bad, and I reckon Casey remembers this song better than that ain't bad, is because it had the awesome film clip, and like you know that there were kind of there was the Mona Lisa, and there was like the white background, and they were sort of jumping yeah. out of boxes, yeah. and it was kind of I, that must have been played and played on video smash hits and video hits and rage in a way that that ain't bad clip wasn't because it was just so striking and visual, and um, so I reckon that's what's behind
0: that, Danny. Yeah, well, I mean, I love this song, and yeah, by the time this album came out, uh, I really, really loved the band, and they were everything I was into. And like I said earlier, it was my introduction to a whole lot of other music that I ended up falling in love with pretty soon after. That led me to bands eventually, like UMI and stuff like that, but Hummingbirds, mm. and on one hand, but then also the Ramones on the other hand, and and all these sort of like all the covers and stuff, and they did all the other songwriters and stuff that they brought in. Um, Got me the whole half a cow scene, so I really, really love the band. Right. One thing I will say though, which I feel like is different from everything everyone else, Ratcat has not dated well for me.
3: Hmm.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting because I've kind of gone the other way. Like I like I said before, was not a necessarily a, a fan of the band, I liked the songs. But if I'm being completely honest, I liked these Rat Cat songs at the time liked I like like I liked the rock set songs at the time. Yeah. To be honest. Now I I look back and have a, a deeper appreciation for what they are, what they did, and, and the records on the mm. whole. Whereas now I listen to a rock set song and I, you know, have a smiling giggle and nicely put together and it takes me back to that time. Whereas um, you know, Rat Cat is it's it's deeper than that for me now. There's some kind of emotional involvement. <laughs> yeah.
0: But see, that's the thing. I just... I... For me, as the years go on, other people were doing that better. Rakai got to number one, because Simon Day was a good-looking kid. Who was doing it better? Uh, yeah, who was doing it better? Oh! Like, early Lemonheads, Hummingbirds, Hummingbirds... You know, like, and that's all stuff that I didn't know at the time, but as the years go by, you know, that fuzz pop stuff that a Is lot of it? bands were doing... Yeah. ...in Australia got to number one. And I think, yeah, they're, give them credit for that, the songs are really, really good. But I guess when you take it away, yes, it's better than Roxette. But yeah, it's, it just yeah, isn't I, I, st- in the way that smells like Teen Spirit, which I said before, is just one of the greatest singles of all time. That ain't bad, and don't go now. It's just sort of really
4: good pop songs. Mm. I think the thing that about them that they have that the Hummingbirds and the Lemonheads don't like, who sort of make similarish kind of music that don't have. It's just like the level of simplicity and the level of mm. um, a big, dumb hook in these mm. songs. Like the the hummingbirds were always slightly more adult and they always had slightly more kind of um, subtlety sure. there. Whereas this is just big, dumb and kind of in your face and there. And there's something about that kind of big rush, that kind of sugar rush, which is, which is a, a real proper interesting thing that makes it different to those and makes it good in a way that those aren't. Though those like you know have more lasting power in other ways.
0: Of those three songs, then "That Ain't Bad," "Don't Go Now," and "Baby, Baby," which were the three big songs that everyone remembers, well, or you can remind Casey of. Uh,
1: <laughs> what, what do you choose? Uh, well, it's it's difficult. I, I've got to set I've got to settle on "Don't Go Now." Uh, just from listening to it this week, it was. You know, I wanted to walk around like Judd Nelson at the end of the Breakfast Club with fists raised in the air all day from, from <laughs> listening to this. It, 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 yeah, it, it, is, it is joyful. It is just, it is pure joy for me. And yeah, it, it's probably the first song we listen to, we've listened to in this exercise. I've enjoyed a lot of things so far, but this is the first one that just kind of, yeah, kind of tingles down the spine. So I'm glad yeah. <laughs> you said
0: this fine yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Casey?
2: Um, it's funny because out of the two that we've listened to tonight I would have picked Don't Go Now but now Baby Baby's been dropped into the mix mm. That's uh, um, uh, it, it's it's hard because I'd need to go back to listen to Baby Baby which I haven't done this week um, but so for that reason I'll say Don't Go Now What are we doing picking our
0: favourites? We, we shouldn't be doing that until no, oh, the end right of the now. show right <laughs> no. uh, Tim Byron what about you? What song, out of those three songs, what would you choose? Don't Go Now. I think that's the thing that I was I was actually specifically trying to get to, which is I think at the end of the day, Don't Go Now is probably their masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Way better than That Ain't Bad. And if they had that song... I don't know that it's way better. No, no, in terms of... I think the, yeah. they're
4: both good songs. Like, like I said before, Don't Go Now is the one that has the better melody and the better sort of feeling about it, but That Ain't Bad has the better lyrics and the better kind of you know, it's got sort of more meaning in, in the song in that kind of way. So they're kind of, like, up and down. Like, they're, they're similar. They're not, like,
0: ones way better than the rest. No, not way better, but I guess it's just the one that if you had to sum up Rat Kat in one song on a compilation, it would be Don't like, Go Now. Mm. I think it really is. I don't know. But that's the irony, which is That Ain't Bad has the better story. But, I don't know, it's, yeah. it's just a better song for me as well.
1: Um. I mean, another thing, just... Quickly, to, to add, I, um, Simon Day and Simon Day's voice. Now, Simon Day, I wouldn't say is a great vocalist, but he always got great vocal performances. And a big part of connecting with this as a kid was that he was someone singing in an Australian accent. Uh, and it wasn't just... I mean, I'd heard people singing in Australian accents before, Peter Garrett. Daryl Braithwaite and Darrell Breathway. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't a new thing. It wasn't revelatory in that way. But Simon Day sounded like the teenage boys who I grew up around, mm. who were a bit older than me. He he spoke with the same accent yeah. as them, and also the, the the way he sang these songs. He sounds like a man besotted. You believe <laughs> you believe this man when he's when he's saying yeah yeah. yeah. I love you, yeah. or, yeah, don't go now. Um, he's utterly convincing when he, he sings these songs. So, yeah, maybe not a great vocalist, but just could dip in and get those performances at will. And, yeah, I, I just... It's interesting because it was the first time I was really exposed to an Australian voice that I, was, that I could connect to in that way.
0: Okay. Moving on to our last track of the night, this song was number one for five weeks. Oh, shit, really? <laughs> From the 8th of June, <laughs> 1991, <laughs> taking us well into mid-July of 1991. This is Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta with the Grease Megamix.
3: This car is automatic, systematic,
2: hydromatic. Why Grease lightning? Grease,
3: Grease, Grease lightning.
0: So that was the Grease mix with Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta. And before we really get into it, and just because I want to shoehorn the work of uh, Phil Ramone, who sadly passed away by the time you'll hear this, uh, did anyone hear the reunion record between Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta oh, that happened last year? They did a Christmas record together. No, they
4: did it is one of the worst. They did. I heard a song from it um, because it was around on the internet and I was curious as to how bad it could be. And it was that bad. And um, the, the thing I remember thinking about it was, Scientologists, did, did, did they um, celebrate Christmas? And so I did the Google of like, do Scientologists <laughs> celebrate Christmas <laughs> question mark? And I looked at it. And apparently they're they they they're allowed to do the secular kind of Christmas kind of thing of putting up a tree and all that kind of stuff that's based on the pagan origins, but they don't do the Jesus-y stuff. And so I think I remember looking through the like the list of songs, and there's no Jesus-y songs, it's all just like, you know, sort of bland secular Christmas, you know, festivus kind of stuff.
0: You, like, I guess before we come into it, you would think a reunion between Chon Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, in a musical sense, would be bigger news, but...
1: Well, this is the first I've heard of it. Yeah. Or <laughs> um, well, maybe we did hear of it. We just blocked, blocked it out. From yeah. our memories.
0: Well, Tim Byron, why don't we start with you? Grease Megamix, where do you stand? With the Grease Mix? I remember at the time that I
4: was like, hey, cool, these are three good songs and they're sort together. And then, you know, it was always weird to me when I'd hear the actual versions of these songs afterwards. And it still is, like, to hear the, you know, the proper long versions with, like, more than one verse of each song. <laughs> of um, like, I, I listen to those and I'm like, Hang on, Grease Lightning's meant to start now. Why isn't Grease Lightning <laughs> yeah. starting?
3: I had the um, exact same thought.
4: But I mean, I, I, I've never seen Grease the movie.
0: What? Really? What? Oh. Yeah, I've never seen it. What? Wow. Uh, as
4: far as I know. Okay, Like maybe I've we're... seen like bits and pieces, but like. I don't listeners, know I we're willing it. to take a three hour break
3: <laughs>
4: and the rest of us will talk. I mean, when I was a teenager, I remember my older cousin, like who's a, a year older or so, like into it and like I remember thinking this is stuff for girls mm. and so I never was interested in it and I've you know as an adult I've never gotten around to watching it am I missing out on much oh yeah oh. I'll <laughs> talk about that I'll
0: talk about that when we get yeah. to it Tim Coyle what about you
1: um I just I, look I, did, I didn't love Greece at the time and I think in my and uh, well, some might find this hard hard to believe, but in my younger and more cynical days, I, I, part of me, to, <laughs> part, of, part of me, liked to think that Carl Perkins drove his Cadillac off the interstate when he managed to hear a grease song when it came on the radio, kind of thing. Um, yeah, the poor man must have turned in his crave that this is kind of what his legacy was. But uh, I've, I've softened on that, and look, it, it, it is what it is. It's it's just it's kind of. You know, for what it is, it's well put together as a pastiche of that 50s thing and 50s nostalgia. It's of a period of time in music that I love and I'm fascinated by, even as a kid at the time. Although my personal choice was reruns of Happy Days um, for for that kind of thing. Um, And as a kid, Grease was my younger sister, was very, very into it. And therefore I hated it hated it. But, yeah. as Daryl as Braithwaite hate, or? Not quite. No, it's not, <laughs> not a thousand
0: sons, maybe. No, yeah, <laughs>
1: maybe two or three. <laughs> Did you know
4: that uh, it was originally going to be Henry Winkler instead of John Travolta? See? Uh, well,
1: uh, I mean, I was going to get into this at some point, and that would have been awesome. Um, one of the odd things I found when I eventually got around to watching the film and came to the conclusion, oh, it's not that bad. And the songs are quite, you know, they're fun, if not um of any great depth and not necessarily indicative of what the music at the time was and it's um, what its legacy was but the odd thing was john travolta and olivia newton john have got no chemistry (laughs) and some people will disagree with me on that but yeah it's i found it a little awkward in that regard it's like these two people aren't really interested in one another (laughs) I think there's a good reason why John Travolta wasn't that interested in Olivia Newton-John. Our, our 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 lawyers have advised us that this is only a theory.
0: <laughs> um, okay. okay, Casey, what about you? Um so
2: in terms of remembering from when this was a hit, when this particular thing, whatever it is, um was a hit, it was oh, I remember it so well. I I have this memory of um school discos and Mm. all of that kind of thing where this just was big malignant (laughs) (laughs) I don't know know. um but it it was one of those huge things but but in that way it was kind of like Love Shack it was just one of those songs that was just everywhere and everyone loved it and was played all over the place and um It's funny that Tim Byrne, you said what you said about when you hear the the songs individually, it's kind of <laughs> it's surprising. You go, it should it yeah. should slow down now and go into <laughs> and and morph into Summer Love and what's going on. Um, and I had the exact same thought. Um, one thing, listening to it this week, um, you yeah, know, the one that I want's A great song. <laughs> That's really really good. It just um, it it surprised me at how nicely put together for what it is for a song in a musical, um, how nicely put together that was. The other big shock that, because I went and listened to um, both You're the One That I Want and Grease Lightning separately, I I didn't bother with um, the other one. (laughs) But did any of you guys listen to Grease Lightning separately? Uh, Not this this week,
0: but
1: I I, know the song very well.
0: I love the song. Are you talking about how rude it is?
2: Yes. Yeah. It's the so whole joke of it. I did not realise... Girls
0: will creep.
2: <laughs> I did not realise that he was singing Pussy Wagon. Mm. I didn't know until this week. And then... So, you know that I'm bragging. she's a real Pussy Wagon. <laughs> and then, when I listen to the real version, there's another thing that they actually cut out for the Grease mix version, where in the first verse... Where they've cut back in the pussy wagon line instead of where he really sings, "This ain't no shit, you're gonna
1: get a lot of tit." Yeah, I just was like, "What?" There is, <laughs> also, there is also, there is also, and oh, yeah, for, for me, it's kind of the one thing that's like has soured the the grease thing for me. In, I mean, not in the way that. Uh, Nine year old boy is sour against it insofar <laughs> as, I was, oh, it's girls' music. Mm. Um, but yet, uh, tell me more, did she put up a fight? Oh, I can't, yeah. That's I, I, not I think, cool. yeah, it's I thought just, that too. Yeah, really? I, I can't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry. It's a bit. No, I'm not even sorry about it. I mean, that's just, yeah, no, I, I, I can't the get past that particular no, I, I line, think, And I
0: couldn't get past it this week. Mm. Oh, I, I think it's a different context. That line is about did she play hard to get, and I think that's what it's that's what it is in the film because yeah. of it what is, happens yes, with but... the action and also the character who says that gets slapped. So isn't the thing about the
4: um, the film is that the film is quite bowdlerized compared to the musical that it was based on?
0: Yes. The musical is quite a lot darker. Okay, look, let's 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 get into my thoughts on this. <laughs> I love Broadway musicals. It is something that I'm very passionate about. Grease is one of the very, 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 very few where the film is a lot better than the musical. Hmm. The musical is terrible and it has different songs and it's trying... And if you say that, yeah, there is some degree that it's trying to be darker, but it doesn't work. It's an odd mix of trying to be dark and trying to be fun. Like, some of those songs do exist in both worlds. But... It doesn't work. And the film, they just went, you know what? We'll just go for the joy and the, mm. and the rudeness think, and the fun. Yeah,
1: I, th- I think the... They really the, simplified it. Yeah. The musical was set out, it was a little ambitious. It's, it, this is also the dark side of rock and roll in the 50s. And they don't get it. They really don't. It, and it the film makes the right choices in that regard. In so far as, let's just make it a, a, a nostalgia piece.
0: Yeah, exactly. It wasn't quite like that. It was just kind of trying to be West Side Story.
1: <laughs> you know, where there's
0: knife fights and people swearing and you know, and a bit of violence on stage and it's about the streets and stuff like that. And they tried to put that into Greece and it didn't quite work. Greece Megamix? Look <laughs> yeah. I love Greece. I think it is a wonderful musical. It is and it's not really the place to go into it. But and I love all the songs and it's interesting hearing you guys say, Oh yeah, the one that I want out of context is really great. I listen to those songs all the time. Like <laughs> and those songs are amazing and I want to talk about some of the great versions of those songs down the line. The Grease Mega Mix is an abomination. Yes. It is just the worst. And the other thing around this time that I want to bring up is Jive Bunny. Yes. <laughs> These really fantastic songs written by really talented songwriters that really sort of told a story. And they just cut out bits of it that sound good to make it. And it's just like, it just. Would you know who did the mega mix? It was Stock, Aiton, and Waterman. Oh. I'm Lord assuming just a computer program, really. <laughs> uh,
4: the computer program. <laughs> well, you're stick. not far from wrong.
0: <laughs> oh, but it just like misrepresents the song. And I, I'm not sure. I think you guys aren't as big musical fans as me. But like, imagine just going, well, my Fair Lady's great. Why don't we take the three danciest <laughs> songs and mix the choruses together? <laughs> the, like, Isn't that at the overture? But like, or, you know, or like, let's take, you know, the Dark Side of the Moon's a good album. Why don't we take the three choruses <laughs> and then everyone knows yeah. and mix them into a song
1: together? Yeah.
0: But <laughs> rah, it's, it's curious. <laughs> <laughs> it will make you hate Dark Side of the Moon
1: forever if yeah. that song is number one as well. Well, well the, I think the curious thing is this comes at the, the high point of what we were talking about earlier as far as baby boom and nostalgia. And yeah, yeah, I I think that's got a role to play here in so far as... So
2: my question is, why did this even happen? (laughs) Was this
4: around a re-release of Grease? Yes, so so they re-released it on VHS. Okay.
0: Um, I think there's something about Grease that it it does this thing, which My Fair Lady doesn't do, that Sweet Todd doesn't do, that other musical doesn't do. And even for some reason West Side Story doesn't do, which is teenagers love it. Because it's a, it is it is one of the great high school films, full stop. Mm. It is like, you know, 16 Candles or something like that. There's something about it where the girls watch it, the guys watch it every Halloween. You see people dressed as, as you know, the pink ladies and the greasers and stuff like that. And it's just like, there is something about it that makes people discover it. And it's a really easy discovery. It's a really easy drug into musicals. And I think, yeah. Yeah, like but
4: yeah, you're right. They were huge. Like, I looked at the charts in, like late 78 when it came out and there was a point where there were four songs from the Grease soundtrack that were in the top 20 at once
0: oh really Yes. Yeah, which sh- one shit
4: i guess the one that i want yeah the one that i want summer nights um hopelessly devoted to you and Grease the Frankie Valli one
0: yeah see oh the Grease is the word mm. <laughs> yes. but i think that just about wraps it up for another 90 percent hits podcast and as usual we're gonna go around and just see what of the five songs that we've spoken about tonight what is everyone's favorite so just to recap the five songs we had were rock set with joyride rat cat with that ain't bad from the tingles ep daryl braithwaite the horses rat cats don't go now and olivia newton john and
1: john travolta with the grease mega mix tim coyle is there any suspense <laughs> about this i mean don't go now is just head and shoulders the best track this week.
0: What did you think of the selection of the songs? I
1: week? thought this week was great. Um, it, like there were three songs that I I love. The the great soundtrack is has components of songs I really like, and it, it's always nice to be able to hate to on something as, as, <laughs> as I do horses. So yeah, I thought I thought this is, this has been the week I've enjoyed most so far. <laughs> Tim Byron, what about you? Yeah, I agree with
4: Tim, like there's uh, Tim Coyle, there's, it's one of the strongest weeks so far, but it's going to be, because there's two Rat Cat songs in it, one of which is Don't Go Now, which is the best song of the, of the five, which is one of the better songs that we've done so far in full stop. <laughs> Casey Atkins, what about you?
2: Um, yeah, Don't Go Now gets my vote as well, but I've got to say I highly commend it, definitely goes to Roxette.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm with you, Casey, I, I, I think we all agree that it's a very, very strong week, and... At at least I think I disagree with Tim Collin that the worst song this week is the Grease Mega Mix. But, (laughs) yeah, it is, like, Joyride is just such a great song. And in any, like, it would have beaten songs from various weeks that we've covered. Oh, without doubt, absolutely. But, don't go now. And, and, and as we said, above that ain't bad just for me. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so I think we actually have another week where a clear winner. So, don't go now. So that wraps it up for us. Yeah, thank you for listening. And Casey, do you want to tell people where they can find us on the
2: uh, Absolutely. So you can email us. Um, it's 90 hits at Gmail. We are 90 percent hits on Twitter. We are 90percenthits.tumblr.com. And that is, of
0: course, percent spelled out in words. And we'll be back next week with another five songs from 1991. Thanks for listening.
1: Not everything, singing, you know. The only important thing these days is...